1: Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Hello.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. Caroline here has spent the weekend in Liverpool.
1: I have, and I went to see the play version of... Emma McBride's A Girl is a Half-Formed Thing which I found completely devastating but in a good way.
0: Yeah I loved this so much that I saw it twice at the Young Vic in London and it's just incredible because I mean I think you read and loved mm, the book yeah. when that came out, was it in 2014 maybe?
1: Yeah a couple of years ago yeah
0: Yeah, and it's, it's a devastating novel, strange and enthralling but very very bleak and depressing. The stage version is an hour and a half and it's just one basically like ventriloquistic monologue for that entire period with no break so it's very overwhelming, right? Yeah, it really is
1: and it also really takes advantage of the experimental stuff that she did with the language in Mm -hmm. the novel it actually really reminded me of a trio of Samuel Beckett plays I saw a couple of years ago there's one in the trio called Not I which is a four minute breakneck monologue just where you can only see the performer's mouth she kind of sits on a stepladder with this black screen in front of her and just her mouth poking through it. and she has this like amazing bright lipstick on and she just talks in this incredibly rhythmical completely distressing way mm. and you're not even sure what she's saying so that's that's kind of more extreme than that half one thing because obviously you do know what's happening
0: I left both times sobbing and having to like go to Tesco's and like pick up bits and bobs for my dinner just letting the tears fully stream down my face
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's touring around the UK doing like weeks in different places so if you can catch it definitely do and even if you can't Highly recommend the novel. You must read the novel. Moving on. Anyway, some emails from our delightful listeners... One from Harini picking up on our discussion of Zootopia slash Zootropolis last week, saying that they thought it was really interesting and also recommending us an article about it and its exploration of race, which we touched on in our discussion. I've had a look at this and it's a really good piece. It's from the NPR website and it sort of posits this idea that the exploration of race kind of puts the animals in the sort of uncanny valley zone, that they're a bit too close to people and that makes it harder to appreciate as an animation. Which is interesting. So we'll tweet that. We're at SeriouslyPod on Twitter. So thank you very much for that.
0: We also had an email from Krista who's from Canada and she... Said she wanted to share a couple of links that made her think of us in the podcast, which oh, is very sweet. I like that people think of us. I know. So the first is Bitch Magazine's list of graphic novels by women. On the-
1: I'm very up for more graphic novels by women. I feel like it's a while since we returned to our we love graphic novel memoirs
0: exactly <laughs> thread and we ought to. Yeah, so I can see here it's like an A to Z of 26 graphic novels by women. She says, I can't imagine you'll have time for them all. Hmm. Krista <laughs> you never know but you'll never run out of great reads the second is the podcast which please a Harry Potter podcast by two lady scholars their language here in Canada that I adore and think you'll get a kick out of which sounds great I mean which please do I need to know anymore It's <laughs> an excellent title for a podcast yeah I'm very here for that given that
1: I've now basically finished the Potter and Daughter podcast I'm definitely you? I yeah. fell off
0: that for a bit I need to get back on it
1: I'm definitely in the market for a new Harry Potter podcast excellent. so I'm gonna give that a go We've also had a really moving email from Sushma picking up on our discussion of female friendships from a couple of episodes ago, and particularly from the the article that I wrote for the series that we ran alongside it on the website. And she says that she found in what I wrote a story that she knows all too well. It's a painful story, but she thinks sharing it will make others in the same situation feel a little less lonely. For those who didn't see it, mine was this... Devastating. ...kind (laughs) of slightly emo, let's say, story about how a girl i was friends with suddenly stopped being friends with me and never explained why and i'm still not over it
0: you have to read it guys it's it's brilliant
1: so Sushma's friend they met at university they studied medicine together and for about two or three years they were inseparable and she says i was probably as close to her as i was to my sister she was my best friend we joke about how we'd be in each other's lives to the bitter end and then out of nowhere a rift appeared when they started their fourth year suddenly she was oddly secretive and a little avoidant I chalked it up to her having a new boyfriend and gave her some space but soon this space snowballed into a friendship abyss which is a really good term for something really bad. I'd become invisible to her. Obviously I had no idea why this was happening and was extremely hurt but being stubborn as I am decided that it wasn't down to me to fix it. Soon the distance between us was apparent to everyone around us but we both did nothing. We waited, waited until it was comfortable to accept that we would probably never speak again. Oh, Which I just identify so strongly with. That's it how, hurts that's how that. I felt about my own thing was that looking back on it in order to write that piece. I thought, Why didn't you just do something? Yeah. Why didn't you just say to her, This is ridiculous, can we sort this out? The, the kind of killer line in this is She uh Sushma writes, Two weeks ago I saw her car drive past my bus and I couldn't help but think that at one point in my life she was important to me and I was important to her. And now we are little more than strangers.
0: Oh, Sushma, that's awful. But I think so true for so many people. So many people have had that exact sort of, why did this end? I can't understand. I don't why. even know why, what, know.
1: what even the incident was. Actually, it just sort of snowballs until you can't really remember. So anyway, thank you very much for sharing that, Sushma. And I hope anyone else who's had that experience
0: feels slightly less alone now that they've heard about it. <laughs> So the first cultural thing we're going to talk about this week is The A-Word, a new primetime BBC One drama following five-year-old Joe, his parents Alison and Paul and his extended family who live in rural northern England. Based on an award-winning Israeli drama by Karen Margalit called Yellow Peppers, the show explores how Joe's dysfunctional family cope with the revelation that he has autism.
1: Dad, can I just part the thing, okay? Did you need planning permission for that cake? To us.
0: There's
1: shovels in my blood, there ain't nothing I can
0: do about You're a genius, are right? you? A genius. Are you selling him? No. <laughs> he's Joe, he's always been Joe. Why wouldn't we want him to be Joe? It is ridiculous that you're avoiding me like some teenage boy who's been dumped at
1: a disco. You really don't understand family, do you? Not yours, I don't. He talks, he laughs, he looks you in the eye, he smiles. How's he autistic? I don't understand we should actually mention this week we're we're doing all things that have been recommended to us by listeners oh
0: yeah that's true almost entirely incidentally because we get so many brilliant recommendations from you guys that we add them to like a big list that we have and these floated to the top of it this yeah, week. Yeah so
1: this one the A word came from Lucy so thank you very much Lucy. So yeah I do think that's a, a fair description of the show. It is very focused on this one family.
0: I would specifically say this is a programme about family dynamics more than it's a programme about a child with autism. Yeah. The discussion is often about Joe's autism but it's not seen through his perspective. Although the autism is the centre of the conversation it's often not about the autism. It's about the fact that there are rifts between certain members in the family and they're using these conversations about Joe's autism to sort of either have a go at each other or try and extend an olive branch or et cetera, et cetera. Yes, exactly. So
1: for instance, and spoilers from here on if you're still watching the first couple of episodes, the fact that they eventually get a diagnosis for Joe reveals the extent of the money problems that his parents are having. His mm-hmm. dad's trying to build a restaurant that he can't really afford to finance, and the fact that they might have to homeschool Joe or send him to a different school suddenly makes him appreciate that he's like twenty grand in the hole already, and the restaurant's only half built.
0: Though, as Paul says in the dialogue, it's a gastro pub, not oh, a restaurant. Yeah, okay, sorry, Paul. <laughs> um,
1: and Joe's mum starts thinking about, well, maybe I shouldn't work. Maybe I should stay at home. You know, yeah. which is
0: not really an option. Not
1: really an option. At the beginning of the first episode, Alice and Joe's mum, her brother, has just moved back from London with his wife. They've just moved in next door. They're having relationship problems because his wife cheated on him with someone else. And they're also called upon to help and support the family mm-hmm. because of Joe. They fight about the fact that their marriage is struggling through the medium of like, do you not want to help Joe or what? You yeah. know. So he becomes this kind of proxy for everybody's problems.
0: Yeah, definitely. A lot of the humour in the show, because I think it does try quite hard to be funny as mm. well, this programme, is derived from all of those tensions and difficulties and like the conversations where someone will say look I'll try and be sensitive but no 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 and then someone else will be like that's your attempt at trying to be sensitive <laughs> you know.
1: Christopher Eccleston as the kind of granddad, Maurice figure. or Morris.
0: Morris, Morris is, is the funniest in it I think. There's a lot of sort of like inappropriate comments about like women or. Oh yeah totally. There's a bit where he like uses, I, I can't even say it but like he uses some really bad language to describe disabled people and he's like oh you know this autism thing is really hard for me I'm still saying saying you know x and x and you're like whoa those words haven't been on tv for a while but yeah i don't know the humor for this in me sometimes falls a bit flat
1: yeah it does like what I think was supposed to be a very funny set piece when, so uh, Joe's older sister, Becca, takes advantage of the house being empty at one point to like have her boyfriend over because they're thinking about maybe having sex for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then her uncle Eddie comes home unexpectedly, like just as they're about to get into it. And then her boyfriend like condom falls out of his pocket and he like does this weird walk where he's like got his foot on the condom. He's like sliding it. I could tell I was supposed to find this really, Mm -hmm. really funny. Actually, I was just finding it, A bit sad.
0: I don't know, it just doesn't quite click for me Mm. in that regard.
1: No, I agree. I think because I mostly commend the people who've made this for having made a drama about a really big issue without it seeming like an Mm issue-space drama. But I think when it's at its worst, it does feel a bit like that. It feels a bit like an exploration of a, quote, issue with some jokes around it.
0: But what struck me more than anything is that I feel like, and this is purely anecdotal, and I'm sure we'll get lots of emails from listeners correcting me and giving us some great suggestions, but I feel like so much of drama specifically not documentary but like drama programming surrounding disability is always really about the family members of people with disabilities and never actually about the people with disabilities especially things like autism and also so often programs about disability are always about either a child or an adolescent with a disability you don't really see that many programs about what it's actually like to be a person with disabilities Mm. and sometimes I feel like the a word falls into that trap where it's like actually we're encouraged to consider autism as a problem that burdens the family rather than autism as a way of being a person if that makes sense and maybe i'm being harsh and maybe i actually i'm just not watching the right programs but when i think of things like that i think of what's eating gilbert grape which is about really about johnny depp's character the older brother and there was a, a very similar bbc one drama on about seven years ago that i remember so vividly from being at school starring nicholas holt and i actually can't remember the name of this program But um, it was about Nicholas Holt's issues with his brother and it culminated with Nicholas Holt pushing his brother off a cliff because it was so burdensome to Nicholas Holt. And it's just, you know, for me, I'm a bit like there's another level here that we haven't hit on yet. And I think I'd probably love to see Yellow Peppers, the drama that this yeah. is based on, and see whether that handles it any differently at all.
1: What did you think about the use of music in it?
0: Very good, actually. Yeah, I One agree. of the real strengths of this programme. And I think, for me, one of the strengths of this programme, because music is the way in which we access Joe's psyche. Yeah, it's the only way you ever access what he might be feeling is through his choice of music. Yeah, and they use it as a way to get inside his head because he's so sort of often slightly socially excluded from, obviously because of his age as well as because of his autism, he's excluded from um conversations that are going on around him and he often has his headphones in and then that he will start singing while his headphones are on mm. and it'll be a song that has like lyrics that are poignant to the current situation like it'll be world shut your mouth or something like that and he'll start just like singing that really loudly and then we start to hear the music as well through his headphones and I think that's a really good way of sort of getting into his mind.
1: Also Joe has really interesting taste in music.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of like I think it's meant to be I think we're meant to gather that it's his dad's yeah taste in music that he's and his dad has used this quite a lot to sort of bond with his son so it's like the eagles and the ramones and the arctic monkeys and buzzcocks and things
1: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role talk about the novel Crocodile on the Sandbank which is a historical mystery novel written by Barbara Mertz and which was recommended to us by a listener Rebecca. And it introduces unconventional so-called spinster heroine Amelia Peabody who with her friend Evelyn has dangerous archaeological adventures on the Nile in late 19th century Egypt.
0: I think that's accurate, wholly accurate. I think it's funny how quickly you get introduced to Amelia's tone and her character comes across even in the first couple of paragraphs. Yeah I think one of the first lines you get because it's written in the first person from her perspective something like it did not go to plan, I am not accustomed to to things not going to my plans you get really that sense of her being very independent very fiery and very sort of confident in her own abilities which is great
1: she's got five brothers who are all older than her and they've all sort of left home and gone off to do like it is suggested respectable victorian professions and she's stayed at home with their father and she looks after him and she studies egypt and archaeology and history with him so she's kind of become this quite independent slightly isolated young woman with a prodigious intellect and Mm -hmm. knowledge base really. But right at the start of the book, her father has recently died and she's kind of deciding what to do with her life now. And she decides, given that she's now very comfortably off, that what she wants to do is travel. So at the beginning we see her in Rome on her way to Egypt and in Rome she meets
0: Evelyn. Evelyn's down on her luck, I think is fair That's Yeah, fair well, well, well Amelia
1: first encounters her like fainting in the forum. Yeah,
0: she's literally like a poor, she says something like I first encountered Evelyn walking the streets. My editor informs me that this sounds suggestive. <laughs> <laughs> but But I also cannot deny that she was literally walking the street when I found her and she's pale and uh, weak and she's sort of collapsed somewhere on the street in Rome.
1: Their first encounter sets up the the character dynamic for the rest of the book, really, in that Evelyn, we are led to believe, at least outwardly, appears to be your more classic Victorian lady in that she's very feminine and she you know, swoons and stuff. And Amelia is very much more, like, daring do, I'll rescue her, I'll Mm -hmm. sort everything out, I'll make all the arrangements.
0: I'll fix her serious illness using nothing but a strip of my petticoat and some spit from my own mouth. Yeah,
1: exactly. So Amelia, like, takes her back to her hotel and, like, cleans her up and gives her a hot meal and finds out that the reason Evelyn is there is because she eloped with an inappropriate Italian... (laughs) <laughs> and who is now having spent all her money disappeared
0: using stereotypes of Italians so that you would have thought were written in 1880 this book was written in 1975 it's just set in 1880 I know
1: actually that's one of the things I really liked about it was the fact that it has all of the sort of spiky oddness of a book that would be written yeah
0: all the like questionable politics yeah. of an actual 1880s book apart from you know obviously it's quite a feminist depiction of Amelia herself
1: I was reading a bit online about that because there's 19 Amelia Peabody books like it's a whole series oh it's God. very That one of the the things about it that develops is that Barbara Mertz kind of parodies the sort of 19th century novels like the ones by Ryder Haggard and people like that that did go in for that so mm. that's apparently kind of what she's gesturing towards mm-hmm. and some of the Red Hagen novels are deeply problematic <laughs> these days so yeah I think that's what she's doing but it is actually refreshing to read a sort of historical novel that by and large doesn't really import today's politics and impose it on yeah. on that time that just sort of says yeah an Amelia of 1880 would have thought all Italians were shifty or something yeah, yeah. you know
0: Definitely. so after she sort of picks up Evelyn on the streets in Rome they basically embark on an adventure together because Amelia was planning to go to Cairo anyway. She needs a sort of helper. They go there together I think because Amelia's basically just got an interest in sort of Egyptology from stuff that she's read from her father's sort of weird, led-to-believe immense library.
1: And her father had correspondents and friends who work in various museums and antiquities departments in Cairo so when they get there she meets some of his friends and it's quite touching when she sort of talks to them about him and learns actually her father was really well regarded by these people and really respected. and and that by consequence she has something of a reputation there already just by being his daughter
0: yeah and it's also useful because it sort of signals to you from the beginning like the avenues by which you might meet people that you can trust people met through her father that's sort of set up quite near the beginning that if it's like a friend of her father's then you know that they're probably a safe person in this novel because obviously it's a mystery novel so a lot of it is like hmm who that we know might be doing this stuff
1: via various different circumstances they end up on this lovely sounding boat travelling down the Nile and then they re-meet some acquaintances from Cairo who are digging at an archaeological site down the Nile somewhere and they yeah. end up staying there for a bit then they end up staying there for a whole lot longer because this mysterious mummy starts appearing
0: in the night threatening various people. Yeah you meet sort of like a whole host of characters when we get go down the Nile don't we and it's sort of like they're almost all like the immediate suspects because yeah. one of the first things someone says is like well it's not that ridiculous and unbelievable that you saw a mummy in your sleep all it can mean is that someone's really trying to to scare you so from the beginning it's like okay this must be a person as an owner of a museum and his friend and then we meet evelyn's cousin lucas who's like very friendly and very keen on evelyn despite her quote marks ruined reputation and we meet these two brothers who are the archaeologists walter and radcliffe then they sort of all end up in the same places at the same time despite the fact that they've been like traveling across egypt and that seems a bit suspicious the brothers evelyn and amelia all set out as a foursome sort of trying to to work out who the mummy is.
1: Yeah, so they're all camping in sort of adjacent tombs in this archaeological site. And, you know, various scary things happen. Evelyn does a few more, like, fainting, pathetic leaves. There's a lot of that, isn't there? There's a lot of that. And immediately it becomes obvious that Walter and Evelyn are deeply in love. But she's very sure that he won't want her if he knows her terrible past with mm. the Italian. In the meantime, and this is very, very pleasing because the novel is written from Amelia's point of view, it is obvious right from the beginning that Walter's brother Radcliffe massively fancies her and, and she likes him and as well. she really likes him as I well. i
0: actually loved their meeting so much that i have a quote from it because it's very like pride and prejudice parody like the ridiculous hatred on site of meeting someone you actually just want to bang <laughs> <laughs> and she said so they're in a museum and she's picked up some sort of artifact and then he comes like storming in because he's like thinks that he's the only person who actually knows the real aesthetic and you know social value of these objects and he's like how dare you be moving them around you're as bad as this crappy museum owner and and she's sort of like, hmm, I do agree with him that this museum owner is crap, but how dare he? <laughs> and she says, "Sir, I said, looking him up and down, I do not know you." And then he interjects, "But I know you, madam. I have met your kind too often—the rampageous British female at her clumsiest and most arrogant. Yea, gods." <laughs> The breed covers the earth like mosquitoes and is as maddening. The depths of the pyramids, the heights of the Himalayas. No spot on the earth is safe from you. <laughs> That's his opening gambit. Yep. <laughs> that quote I think reflects the heightened silly, ridiculous tone of this novel yeah. the entire way through. It's always like that. His character is hilarious and brilliant because he's like that all the time.
1: Like She saves his life at one point. They kind of, even though they fight like that all the time, they sort of respect each other right from the beginning as the only two really sensible people there yeah and it's just obvious right from the start that what's gonna happen is gonna happen
0: which was quite refreshing I think to have that sort of love plotline in the sort of quote marks spinster mm. detective trope because Miss Marple and all these characters it's a point they're completely like sexless they're libido-less and people might try and like seduce them or trick them using their like attractiveness but they'll never fall for it because that part of their person just does not exist and I really liked in these novels that although Amelia is presented mostly in all of those types she does have a side of her life that she can have a sex life basically and a romantic interest
1: yeah and it doesn't detract from her ability to solve mysteries or read books or anything else
0: yeah yeah so I love Amelia I think she's she's excellent well if you do we have also been recommended a similar novel Ah yeah so this was from katie thanks katie she says that she'd like to recommend the lady emily series by tasha alexander she says the first book is called and only to deceive and lady emily is a victorian lady detective who often tiptoes the boundaries of societal rules sounds like someone else we know while solving murders also sounds like somebody- <laughs> <laughs> Oh, every Spencer detective ever. She is seen as somewhat of an eccentric with both her work as an amateur sleuth and her love of learning ancient history and mythology. It also has a great cast of recurring characters and is superbly written with all the twists and turns of great mystery writing. It sounds really similar. The mystery element of the Amelia Peabody novels, I felt like this one was not a great challenge to the crime reader's no. mind. To Maybe turn it off now if you actually want to know nothing about the solution. I'm not going to tell the solution, but I thought you, it was very easy to figure out, basically. Yeah, sort of like slightly slight suspect person is slightly than suspect yeah, is really what happens. it's also like there is a known body from mm-hmm. the beginning and then a slightly questionable person and it's like hmm wonder who could be behind this whole thing that for me was maybe slightly unsatisfying compared to like and I hate to keep doing this but compared to like an Agatha Christie novel Agatha Christie novels do always I'm a bit like oh what an incredible solution that was so smart yeah. I would never have got that whereas this was just a bit it's more about the characters and the tone and stuff you don't I don't think you would straight away read this book necessarily for the mystery
1: yeah, I'm interested to know whether anyone who's read more of the series, I'm certainly going to, when I get time, read some more of them. I mm. think I think it'd be a great holiday read. I'm interested to know whether maybe after this first one, where she's set up the main characters and we sort of know roughly the kind of Miller that they exist in, whether actually she can be a bit more complicated with the plots yeah. in the future.
0: This is the kind of thing, by the way, that I would love to see get like a crappy Thursday night ITV adaptation written by Julian Fellows. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I would love to see him like come with like the moustache Twizzling Italian, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And so on. I think it, that is—it's absolutely oh. his level, as much as he thinks he's above it. This is his level. He should yeah. definitely be. It, oh God, it'd be his. so
1: perfect. And also Amelia's obsession with clothes and like how she hates wearing bustles and
0: she just I yearns for trousers. Like Julian Fellows could get two whole episodes out of that. This is like the Victorian and even more hammy Franny Fisher. Mm, yeah. So it, I think Julian needs to get his hands on it ASAP. <laughs> <laughs> So last week, I recommended that Caroline watch Luther, a BBC One crime drama following the brilliant but violently unpredictable DCI John Luther, that's Idris Elba, as he both attempts to solve high profile cases in the Met's serious crime unit and preserve his crumbling personal life. I mean, from that summary, that's, I guess, like every crime series ever. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But it is a bit more interesting than that, isn't it? It is. And...
1: I have only watched the first episode, and I absolutely loved it. I'm so glad. I loved it glad. so much. I love him. I think he's amazing.
0: Idris Elba is just so watchable.
1: He's so good. I, I don't know. There's just nothing about it I didn't like. So, like, I really like his boss in The Police. Who, yeah. He's constantly being like, I've just got a feeling that she did it. and And she's like bring me the evidence
0: (laughs) (laughs) and she's sort of um, put the gun in her hand (laughs) yeah exactly and she so Luther as often is the case in these sort of like maverick crime series is someone who is very very good at his job works on gut instinct a lot of the time knows the psychological profiles of his suspects very well and sometimes rushes to get arrests without actually doing all the due process stuff he's not a by the book kind of guy and sometimes that can be really really damaging for his department and his boss has obviously had to do the damage control so many times that she's now just like Literally, you cannot do anything unless you do it completely, a hundred percent by the book, and give me everything because I can't keep covering for you all the time.
1: And this is specifically in response to a kind of set piece you get at the beginning of the episode where they've been chasing this serial killer, and Luther's like with him in this
0: really precarious situation in like a sort of warehouse. Yeah, they end up in yeah exactly like an abandoned, complicated ladder-filled warehouse. Yeah, and he, the killer's like hanging
1: from his fingertips from this walkway, and Luther's like, "Tell us where the girl is. Tell us where the girl is." and Basically, he has the chance to like help him back up, and he doesn't, and he falls.
0: Yeah. Um, and then this guy is in a coma the guy's sort of status in the coma is hanging over Luther's head for the entire of the first episode and a lot of the first season because well if he wakes up and says Luther did this to me that's trouble for Luther if he dies without them being able to prove that he did it or you know take him to trial or anything that's a problem too so in the first episode it's not your standard cut and dry sort of crime solving contained episode because there is a crime right at the very beginning where this retired I think we're. meant to assume couple in their sort of late 60s living in a nice little house are murdered in their home in a really bloody horrible way really horrible way and Luther's prime suspect is their daughter Alice who is a genius who clearly has empathy issues perhaps is a bit of a psychopath
1: yeah she's she's like a maths genius isn't she she's yes. like an academic and she finished very university pushed. when she was 13 or something stupid yeah and, pushed yeah. by
0: her parents and he sort of thinks ah this is my prime suspect and she is played brilliantly I think absolutely and I'm already a fan of Ruth Wilson but mm. absolutely brilliantly played by Ruth Wilson as a sort of smirking extremely charismatic but very dangerous person Luther I feel like in the first episode quite quickly gives up on actually trying to arrest her
1: no he's more interested in like trying to beat her
0: yeah, he, he sort of sees her as her, a rival you know? yeah. in some way because, because she's so intelligent and she has covered the tracks of her crime so well. But Alice is immediately intrigued by Luther and immediately wants to know as much as she can about him and sort of, I think, maybe just respects him as a bit of an intellectual equal, even though he's you know not educated in the same way as she is and immediately wants to sort of build up a rapport with him. Yeah. And so you get this really interesting episode that's actually a- about their relationship and how sort of inappropriate it becomes quite quickly not you know in a romantic context but just in the fact that he's she's his suspect and he's really meant to be just like keeping an eye on her and, and instead he's like breaking into her flat and stealing stuff and then like playing mind games playing on mind her games basically. with her yeah, yeah. <laughs> Emergency service. Police. she did it no, she
1: doesn't the yeah well that's the thing about people they always find ways to surprise you what if you only really catch people who make mistakes? That would skew the figures,
0: wouldn't it? She needs constant recognition. And she's eyeing her next victim, and she won't stop until someone stops her, until I stop her. I so build a case? Well, there is no case. She didn't leave one. She didn't leave anything. I'm coming for you. What if I come for you first? That is set up as a relationship which continues throughout Luther as a programme and is by far and away the most interesting thing mm. about Luther, I think.
1: Yeah, she's completely amazing. Also, I would like to mention the excellent use of sort of landscape and place in this programme, mm. not least because it's all set around where we where work, we work yeah. all <laughs> the time. So I'm constantly like, I walk on that pavement. I've been there. Flash Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so she's got this amazing flat in the Barbican, yes. which somehow seems Seems perfect for her. I don't mm-hmm. know, and it's very, very Londony.
0: It is, and it's a- specifically East London as yeah. well. Often that's like central you know just east of central but sometimes that'll be like out in sort of hackney and places as well
1: which is really good and they really make a a feature of that they could have filmed it in a kind of slightly nondescript english looking town Mm -hmm. but instead it's very specifically like london and in the 21st century
0: yeah i think it's so gripping because it feels so real in that sense Mm. because i think luther's a fairly melodramatic shall we say yeah (laughs) hammy perhaps you know program at times i think some of the dialogue i don't know if you found this but some of the dialogue i find a bit like excruciating (laughs) yeah it is a bit there was there's literally a bit where someone says like you can't do that luther it's wrong and luther says i know it is and they're like why are you doing it then he's like because it's also right. And you're like, oh, that is actual dialogue that just happened. I think the realism in the place really helps balance that out and you mm. get this like sort of quite weird program as a result.
1: Yeah, you do, where you feel like, actually, you know what it reminds me of? The the other day, I was in Southwark Cathedral and I was just like looking around with my friend and this Teenager came up to me and started doing a bit of Shakespeare, and then what? Yeah, I know it was completely baffling. And then a this few is, other. This th- isn't your real life. Yeah, course. and then a few other times as we were walking around, <laughs> it became clear that there was like a sort of immersive theatre thing happening in the cathedral oh, that we'd walked into. That's so weird. And they were just going up to random strangers and like doing the prologue from Romeo and Juliet, or doing like a famous speech from Hamlet, or whatever. And it was kind of weird. But I feel a bit like that about Luther in the sense that you feel like you could bump into him any. Time just walking on the pavement, and then he'd say something really hammy and unrealistic to you. (laughs) Exactly that you could sort of brush by this story, but you would never actually be part of it because it exists on a whole different plane.
0: I hope that you continue watching it because I'm really interested to hear, you know, at the water cooler Mm. how your feelings about it develop because it changes quite. It has lots of different incarnations as a show, and I think at the beginning it is trying harder to be like gritty and realistic and. Um, me and my boyfriend had a chat about this because at the beginning I really didn't like Alice as a character I think because the show feels more realistic her crime seems more horrific Mm. and I think it's quite hard to get over the fact that she did what she did and you almost are a bit like why is he warming up to this insane person killing your parents is literally so so bad Mm. it's really bad by the way really bad. (laughs) but as it goes on and it sort of accepts and loves the silliness of itself a bit more her character just becomes so excellent that that you literally could never hold it against her and I think so as the tone of the programme changes so does your feeling towards some of the characters i love it and i can't wait for you to keep watching it
1: (laughs) so for next week i'm going to recommend you something very different to luther which is the mobile game monument valley Mm. which describes itself as quote an illusory adventure of impossible architecture and forgiveness
0: oh okay that sounds psychological
1: it is psychological. At its most simple level though, it's just a really beautiful looking game on your phone where you're a little person and you have to make safe paths for them to walk through these amazing landscapes. But everything about like the music and the sort of visual style of it and stuff, you get really drawn into it. Oh
0: my god, it sounds so fun. I'm excited.
1: So yeah, I look forward to hearing what you make of it. Okay, I'll give it a go.
0: Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Seriously. All you have to do is search SRSLY in iTunes or any other podcasting app you use. While you're there, it would be really great if you could leave us an iTunes review as it helps other people find the show.
1: We also rely on you listeners for your recommendations. So if you want to tell us what you thought about something or if you've got something we should watch... You can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, via email. All the details are on seriouslypodcast.com. If you like, you can also recommend us to your friends, family, neighbours, strangers. Let them know that you like the podcast and they should be
0: listening to it too.